what are you talking about? Like, why would you cancel your Midjourney subscription? And then the the original poster then kind of like clarified and they said, well, the thing is like I, I subscribed to Midjourney and then as I was using it, I realized I don't have good ideas. <laughs> Butterscotch Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 411 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the webs programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is April 13th, 20 Jubilee. And before we get started, we have a warning there's going to be profanity on this show, so buckle your buckle your pants and buckle your earmuffs for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, also buckle like your pilgrim shoes. Yeah, yes, definitely. Pilgrims hate profanity. But they love but shoe they, buckles. And they love murder. <laughs> oh, yeah, they love murder. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we can kill anyone as long as nobody says any naughty, naughty words. <laughs> because morals. I'm pretty sure South I'm pretty sure that's what the South Park movie was about. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Going to war with Canada and, and killing everyone to keep people from saying bad words. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and also we'd like to thank our recurring supporters from moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you very much for uh, your recurring donations to help us keep our mic tubes full of mic juice. Uh, so what we're gonna do today is more questions. Yeah, lots lots of stuff happening in the studio, but you know we're just chugging through Crashlands two development content and stuff. So, you know we don't want to do we don't want to do spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also, sometimes there's so much going on that you're like, I don't care. You know, I don't care about this. Let's talk about something else. I've been doing this. I've been doing all that the whole week. Let's talk about mm-hmm. some other brand. But also, shit. all of it requires context. You know, that it's that's like, what I mean. Now, what do we got to? How do we build up all the sufficient information? Meanwhile, oh, I was listening. Yeah. Like, I'm so bored. This isn't, this isn't the place for nuance. Oh no! And long form discussion. This, this is, is a, a podcast. podcast on the internet. <laughs> it's a place for action. <laughs> so let's go. Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Well, the highest upvoted question from podcast.bscotch.net comes from Fraser who says, now that you're finally seeing the payout of a multi-year push to improve processes and tooling, do you have any plans to staff up? Mm. Well, this also comes from our discussion a long time ago about the idea of scalability, right? Yes. So we wanted to have a focus on the ability to scale because putting yourself in a position where you could scale means you have to improve all kinds of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You have to improve all of your communication channels in particular, but you also have to basically anything revolving handoffs and work management and how people interact with each other and get information, right? All that has to be really shored up um, and things have to become more self-service so that people can solve their own problems because – the moment you don't have that, you start adding people. All you do really is just add problems because mm-hmm. the whole system just can't support that. And so, yeah, we or you start adding those people whose job is to be like a like a human switchboard. Yeah, usually you call yeah. them producers. I think typically. Yeah, but yep. uh, which is true on, lo- on or very project large, managers. Yeah, yeah, you do need them on, on on projects of certain scales, right? Because like you cannot escape this. <laughs> the yeah, the you gravity. can have a company that's like two people, and you can get a lot done. Or you can have 10 people and get twice as much done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's tricky. It's a tricky system. Yeah, things just don't scale well when, as soon as communication channels are, mm-hmm. are involved. Um, well, and it's also the case that having a smaller team puts you, in, puts you into a different state of mind that I think is a 
good one. Like I, I always think about Meta with their $15 billion multi-year yes. investment with thousands of people into the metaverse. And it's like with people kind of joke about how like, how is it that a company with so many resources could just have nothing to show for it or like do such a bad job? And it's like, it's because they have so many resources. Yes. They, they just can – they can throw as many engineers and as much cash at any problem and they don't actually – they don't need to do anything clever, mm-hmm. right? They just keep trying to overwhelm the problem with brute force. And I think you end up with just worse and very unwieldy solutions to problems when you have sort of unlimited resources, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's actually so. – there's a very funny um, – and at the, I think it's the game director for Super Smash Brothers has a YouTube channel where it's like, he puts out these like, I would call them like almost like little three minute little kind of cutely animated whiz nugs of, of like game development and game design stuff. And they're very, they're very high level, right? But also a whiz nug is a wisdom nugget for those newer to the podcast. I mean, oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. whiz nug. So, one of them recently was, was basically this exact thing, which is, you know, a team of, essentially a team of, like five people can get the same amount of work done as a team of 10 people. And there's this is basically always comes out of the scale problem. So I think while, while it's the case that we're now at a point where we actually have, we have scaled, right? We actually have added content. We've actually had people other than Seth programming on directly on the game or on the game's code. Um, we basically managed to make good on a number of things that we built these systems to be able to you know, do in the first place. Uh, I don't know that we'll be, we don't, we, I guess I'll put it this way. We don't have an intent to scale just for the sake of scaling. If what we're doing currently is working just fine, because we know the cost, the actual cost of scaling is, is tricky and usually far higher than you think it would be. Yes. So. Well, well, and to kind of take your, your point further, you know, by the transitive property, if you say like, you can't, you can, you can achieve the same stuff with a team of five people as you could do with a team of 10 people, mm-hmm. right? But wouldn't that – I would also apply like you could do the same thing with a team of 10 people that you could do with a team of 20 people. Yeah, Which there's... means by the transitive property, all all teams are capable of achieving the same thing regardless of how many people are on there. Well, well, actually, no, it's an interesting point because it's like there's basically a – I do think I'm as far serious. as a curve. Yeah, there's basically – there's yeah. like a – there's an asymptote, asymptotic line. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying correct words, but it's the thing that approaches – you know, a particular value as we scale up the team members, right? Yeah. It's like, it's very hard to, the reason you invest in all these tools is actually, I would say, it's almost like to keep the amount of value added per person the same as it is when you're on a very small team as the team gets bigger, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because otherwise, the value added per person typically just kind of goes down as as you go at, at a bigger and bigger team because there's just more and more stuff to manage well, and, and it's the case that that as, as you have more people on a team, that means that for any one person, there will be more and more things happening that that person has no idea about, mm-hmm. right? Which means, like you're talking about this role of the producer, um, you'll end up with a large number of systems and people and processes whose whole job is to help people establish context as they go yes. into solving a problem because if if you're if you're working at Facebook and there's 80,000 people at this company and somebody says, "Hey, we need you to we need you to like uh optimize our newsfeed algorithm so that it shows 83% more baby pictures mm-hmm. and political rants to people." You'd be like, "All right, I'm going to do it." Um, 
Mm-hmm. Who, where does that go? Where do I, where in the code, or is this code, or is it somewhere else? Yep. Is it part just, of, a lot what of kind of, how do I get credentials to access? And it might be two or three weeks before you even get to start it. Yeah, because, but, more, but there's the more important part too, which is just how do you predict how those changes you make cascade through the system, else. right? And how they right. impact which, what everybody else you, is trying to do. Yeah, and you predict that by, again, having huge numbers of people reviewing the stuff that you're doing and and testing it and sending it yeah. back. And the, so, so but you do, I mean, you question. do have to have, it has to do with the scope of the problem that you're solving. Right. Um, and how much of that scope can be managed and queried and understood by a person. Right. And so if you have a, yeah. if you have a problem that's, that spans a lot of disciplines, right. So like we couldn't shrink our studio down to one person and like still make the stuff we're making. Right. Because nope. that one person would have to have way too much deep expertise and too many things. And like, there's nobody has time to develop that. Right. And so I think scale has to do with making sure you have sufficient expertise to cover the domains of the problem uh, and to basically capture the complexity of the problem. Right. In some way so that, people can understand the impacts of the changes that they're making. Mm-hmm. And ideally not, not many more people than that. I, yeah. Ideally need, exactly the, that. Many. Well, I think a lot of the problem that we see out in the world of, um, especially in the tech space is that because growth itself, like scaling itself is seen as a positive metric, like a goal in and of itself, that scaling outpaces scalability, right? So scalability, meaning the ability to add a new person, as smoothly as possible with a minimal negative impact on the existing system, mm-hmm. right? Because they can kind of just like plug in and immediately get access to the information they need. They know how to find stuff. People know what they can do with that person's time. You know, all that kind of stuff just is already the case. So that people just add right when they're plugged in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's a really hard thing to accomplish at any scale. Even, I mean, for us as a tiny team, like it's been extremely costly and difficult to add tools and processes and layers of how the studio works so that we can basically say, oh, let's hire a contractor to come help write shaders for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks, right? Because, yeah, like you got to get them plugged into the whole system, right? And they have to know how to communicate with everybody and all this stuff. It's just really challenging. But if you find yourself as a company being like, oh, we've got 10 people, then somebody gave us $100 million and they said, hey, you're going to need 50 more people to solve this problem. We want those people hired in the next six months, right? And now all of a sudden, six months, you go from your 10 people, whatever, to 50 or 100 or something like that. You can't possibly have pre-scaled your scalability before you scaled. And now if you're trying to improve scalability when you already have the scale, you're just in a waking nightmare. It's really hard, yeah. Now you just take all these new people and you're putting them onto solving the problem of the fact that they joined the company. (laughs) Well, you see all these, these people talking in the tech space, you know, after the layoffs and stuff where they're like, honestly, I haven't, I haven't had anything to do for six months. You see, I mean, this is very common, right? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Or really you get hired things. onto a team and then like the team manager gets laid off, but the team is mm-hmm. still there, but right. nobody knows who Everyone's they're like, what the fuck is yeah. happening? Yeah. So this, this, this also reminds me though, like I was listening to a lot of stuff about the, uh, the Silicon Valley bank collapse, mm-hmm. which, which exposed a lot of things about the the, the tech startup scene and all, how the venture capital funding works and stuff. And essentially it amounts to like for the past decade, you know, we've, we've had a uh, 0% interest rate, interest overnight interest rates from the fed, which has basically led to super low interest rates for banks to lend out money and blah, blah, blah. And, and a lot of that has fueled this like easy money, easy investment, uh, 
roll lots of dice, kind of like venture capital stuff going on in, in Silicon Valley where somebody comes up with an app, they an app idea or a, or a website or a service or whatever, and then they, they go out and like first thing is like get a bunch of venture funding. And it's like get a bunch of users, get a bunch of funding. Um, and it's not even about like is this company profitable? It's just do you have a lot of users? Right. And do you look like a company that could be one of those quote unicorns, which is like a company that just takes off? And a big part of that culture is about having the appearance of a company that's taking off. Yes. So, yes. so you'll do stuff like if you if you know that that you need three more programmers, like you're pretty confident that all you need is like a few more people with these certain domain mm -hmm. expertise, right, to achieve what you're trying to do, and then a, a venture company comes in and they're like, Hey, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you $15 million. Right. And you're, and you're like, okay, well, we're going to take the money, not because we need it. Like, cause we already could have, we already could afford to hire the people we need. We're going to take the money because then that gives us a valuation. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's also, it's good for the, your other investors at that point too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, so now, now your, your value of your company goes up. Uh, you then perceived like value, it. your perceived value. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Which is what which the, is value the value is, right? Because it's, yeah. well, it's all well, made but up. I do think so, it's, I think that nuance is important though, because people all talk, always talk about all this stuff as if we're just talking about like the, the fact of the value of the company though. So like, Oh, Apple's worth a trillion dollars or whatever. Right. And it's like, well, it's not though, because literally not, nobody will, nobody can buy Apple yeah, that's for a really, trillion dollars. Yeah. Right. So like, that's the, quote, market cap, but it, what is it worth? Uh, I don't know. And also, like, if somebody wanted to buy every share of Apple, right, that would make the price of those shares skyrocket because mm -hmm. suddenly they're in high demand, which means at that point, it would suddenly be worth 10 times more because it's all made up. Yeah. So I think, uh, well, I think when we're talking about scalability, then there's basically this difference between what I would call, you know, productive scaling, which is for the sake of trying to accomplish a particular goal, right? Be very, very clear on what the goal is. Let's say you got to Let's say you're making a 3D game, right? You got a uh, you got a programmer who's who's really good on say Unity or Unreal. You have a, a single 3D artist, and uh, and then that's it, right? That's your sort of two person team. Um, it might be the case that as you get your vision put together, whatever else, that you realize like, oh shit, there's there's certain kinds of work that are dense enough that we literally just need we do need more people. Like the techno even with the tech technology we have, we will not be able to animate, for example. Animations are extremely time intensive. We're not going to be able to animate anything in this fucking game because, like the three D, the three D modelers just only able to make three D models at this point and, and whatever. So you you basically end up having to pick these pick and choose these specialized specializations that that allow you kind of what Adam was saying earlier to to fill out your your roster. It's like it's like it's like sports. Okay. Yeah. You need a quarterback. You need yeah. a center. You need. Yeah. A you can't. <laughs> you can't have one person doing it all. But you also you don't actually want more people than is strictly necessary, unless to your guys's point, there's some other reason to do so. And I think unless it's there's a political to, angle. Yes, yeah, so I do want to distinguish between those two because I think we we always focus on scaling as on the like actual project value side. And it's very important to note that there is a, just a different kind of scaling, which is like, and it's really answering a different question. I have, and I have friends who have gone through this in the investment space where they've gotten money with a string attached, which said you have to hire up yeah. to get this, like you have to, and it's not a joke. It's like a thing that will be in a contract in order to get this, like say $5 million dollars, you need to go up to 15 people from your current four. And now most of the problems months. become people management problems instead of getting the product out yeah. the door. Oh, yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, it's, well, it's because the the investors have have an idea like what does a successful company look like, and it looks like one that has a lot of activity and people in it. Yes. So if we're going to give you a bunch of money, you need to become a successful company by looking like what we expect you to look like. Yes, <laughs> yeah, but there's a, there's a very big difference between those two modes of scaling, right? The productive scaling versus the uh, uh, what do you call it? Per- perceptive scaling, political scaling, right? Um, and I think in the in the latter case, really, where you're what you're trying to do is just mitigate the damage caused by having to scale when you just frankly, frankly don't need to. Um, and then in the yeah. case of the former, it's like you, you're scaling very specifically to fulfill a purpose, and that's that's I think the the trickier the trickier one, weirdly enough, where it's like we've done it before, where you you can scale up thinking that you need something that you just don't actually need because you don't understand your core production processes. Yeah, well, I think that's where yeah that one blender. that category of productive scaling breaks into two as well, yes. right? Where one is scaling the people. So you're just throwing more people to problem. The other one is scaling, is making it scalable so that the people that you have can just accomplish more, right? Yes. That's um, the, the but, latter category is what we focus on. And yeah. The idea is kind of, it's about packing a larger punch. Still just one punch, but a much, yeah. a much more. What well, our model punch. is like, you scale there, you work on scalability until you reach the end yes. in your current situation. So the only way to move forward at that point is to add people, right? Yeah, but that also that also means that you have to look at things kind of backwards compared to how people typically look at them. And like one of the things that I, I it hadn't occurred to me is kind of a weird thing, but I I was chatting with somebody a while back who asked, um, how do you guys do employee reviews? Mm. You know, like because you know t- typically a company will do like an annual performance review where they bring in the employee and they're like, you did a bad job. And then mm-hmm. see you next year. And then that's <laughs> Excelled in uh, our marks. 2% yeah, increase. You, you exceeded expectations, but we're not giving you a raise because yes. company. Here's a raise um, below inflation. Whatever the annual, typical annual <laughs> review process is, right? Um, but ours is, is, is flipped where, so we do, we do quarterly reviews, but we don't review the people in the company, we have the people in the company review the company. And themselves. Where it, and themselves. And themselves, which is basically them saying like, here's what I was trying to achieve this past quarter. Or here's what like we agreed that I was supposed to be working on or whatever. Um, did I did I manage it or not? And if not, here are the things that got in my way or like here are the here are the aspects of my work that suck or that are time consuming or really slow or, you know, whatever. So like we want we want to sort of harvest everybody's complaints about yes. why their work sucks. We're sort then, of a complaint-driven studio. You know what I mean? At the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's a different model. Yeah. You know, some people are principles-driven. Some are, you know, I think people talk a lot about that, but finding your why. You know, we just run mm-hmm. off of the complaints of the people who yeah, work. We're just space. making the work not suck. That's Yeah, yeah. like our, That's our KPI, our KPI is how many complaints do people have, right? Mm-hmm. And like the lower we get that number the better, but it's, it's not about suppressing the complaints. Yeah. It's about, <laughs> it's about constantly seeking them out so that you can figure out what's actually making it hard for people to do stuff. And this also requires good faith. Like if, if you're a company and you hire somebody and they're not doing well, you can take, there's, there's a fork in the road here for you, right? One is you can say, this person just sucks as a person mm-hmm. and I'm just going to scold them a bunch and make them feel like shit. That's that's one path. <laughs> the other path is to say, I assume this person wants to do good work and is capable of it because so I something them, must be in right? the way. So there must be something going on in our company, the way that we're doing things that's making it so that this person is either not motivated to do it or that they're not able to do it because of 
our systems and processes. And so we always take, that's the path we always try to take of like to take a hard look in the mirror and figure out how we as the um, as the owners of the company are messing with people's ability to do stuff, right? And in, um, a, in a structural way or in a processes way, right? It's like even, you know, yeah. things we've, we've tried all sorts of formats as people in the, who've listened to the podcast know of uh, productivity software as well as just rhythm for work. You know, do you do, we used to do weekly meetings where everyone was there, go over all the cards, review stuff. We, then we started doing uh, like smaller ones with smaller pieces of the team. Then now we don't do any of that shit because it turns out that it was really annoying for most of the time for everybody. <laughs> but at the same time, it was always, it was an improvement from the previous complaints, which was no one knows what's going on. So, you know, you sort of just amble your way toward uh, a better looking at a and more scalable studio by harvesting those complaints. Yeah. And it, and it kind of hits a point where like back when we first started working on this stuff, we would do our quarterly reviews and the quarterly review would take two or three days to get through yeah. all the shit, all the stuff that everybody's having a bad time with. And, and then we'd have a like, huge pivot at the end of it, right? Yeah. yeah there'd yep. be at least one, if not like 10 huge changes to make, to try to make our work suck less, you know, for everybody. And then- each successive quarter, the number of complaints goes down a little bit every time, right? And then to a point where uh, now nowadays our quarterly reviews are quite brief. They're, they don't take – they take like half a day instead of three days. They're mainly usually review, at the end, not problem solving. You know what I mean? Back there just yeah. like, oh, the, yeah, all this stuff happened. Here's where everyone's at. Here's where we're going. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. people have kind of gotten their, their work into a place where they're like – they feel like they're in control of it. And if there are things that are kind of getting in the way, they're typically things that are like far beyond our scope of control. Like some, like some third party has kind of like a really awkward interface yeah. that but being that's on the consoles only one we can use. Is annoying, you know, like all sorts of just, just yeah facts, just stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's uh, like to kind of like I guess kind of wrap it up. You know, we we uh, we don't we don't have any current uh, production holes that we need a full-time specialist for. And that's kind of our philosophy of why we would scale up. If that does happen, um, you know, maybe like as, as a uh, new AI tech comes online or something like that, if, if there, if there, if we discover that there's something that we need, that we need a specialist for, then that's the time where we start thinking about that. Yeah. And then, and, and it might be that as we get into the really heavy, just production phase of Crashlands 2 rather than, cause we're still, it's like a mix of production and R and D right now. Right. Yep. And developing the systems and stuff. Um, but once we get into like to the really big push and it's now like all about cranking out art assets and stories and all that stuff, uh, it might turn out that we just need – we just need some more art. Because we're already at the point now where like the bottleneck for art development is actually just pen to tablet mm -hmm. making the art, right? Um, and for writing, like we still have a lot of things we get short about the writing process and like how that gets in because like we don't like the built-in editor and the system isn't very good. So there's a lot of like movement between editors and stuff. Right. But even that we're kind of like, we can improve that, but we can't You're be get twice the output out of that yeah. system, you know? So we may need to add, add, add a writer yeah. temporarily, right. To, uh, to, to like finish up the whole thing. Uh, but the kind of the goal that we have at this point is is to make sure the systems are all good enough that with the ebbs and flows of the reality of game development, we're removing into these different phases, right? That that we have a core team that is really effective at doing all the stuff that has to happen kind of all the time and in kind of the doldrums for any given specialty are just shoring up their systems, right? And then in a pinch, we can pull somebody in short term who's a deep expert at something where our goal is to have developed all of our processes and systems so that they can come in, get onboarded quickly. And, you know, assuming they're an expert, 
then all we have to deal with is like plugging them in. And if we did a really good job of that, then that's easy now, right? Mm -hmm. And we can now punch some power to those systems when we need to. Yeah. That's that's our philosophy. It's working. It's working okay so far. Yeah. Don't have a good frame of reference, frankly. For yeah, I haven't done. A, yeah, a, we still so. exist though. Yeah, as a company. So we're doing so right. <laughs> we're do, whatever we're doing is going okay for us at least. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Chalosis, who says, "I am taking a drawing class for the first time ever." Ooh, congrats. awesome! So, congrats on the big move. Uh, and looking at my work makes me cringe. Yep. How yes. do y'all push through being bad at new skills? Or do you mostly do things you're good at? Mm. Uh, on the art side, I think participating, actually just on skills acquisition in general, I would say that participating in a structured approach where someone else is present to either evaluate the work or to be like, you are on par. You're doing fine. Yes, you suck at drawing still after two weeks, but you but suck reasonably. a little less. Yeah, <laughs> this is reasonable. Having that a little, just a little bit of someone being like, you're fine. You're not, you're not, you're not doing it wrong, even though it looks like it's terrible, uh, is I think huge for the initial establishment of a skill, whether that's programming, you know, we talk about pair programming and even this previous conversation about scaling studios, stuff like onboarding people, even into, you know, work management systems and stuff like it's all, it all comes down to the same thing, which is a little bit of guidance and a little bit of feedback right at the beginning. So people can get their get comfortable and know that they're not just, um, how to put it. You don't want to go into a place and and sense both sense that you suck and then not be able to sense any growth happening, which is actually usually what happens when you're very, very new to something because you, unless it's a very easy thing to pick up or it's built to be picked up quickly, like a video game, um, it's basically impossible to detect as a noob if you're improving or not. It takes, like, you really got to, it takes time. It's it just time. slow. And anything that's slow, slow, you're, you're, our puny human brains can't detect change, right? Yes. They just so can't I think, tell. I think the, the kind of pieces there are to do a combination thing. One is to like to just shut that inner critic up about stuff while Which is easy to say. Working. Very easy to say. Basically yeah. impossible to do, but that's yeah. why. Well, it's, there's a way. I mean, the way to do it is the way that you're currently doing it, which is to put yourself into a situation where you're committed. Right. It's like you, you yep. sign up for this drawing class and it's like, okay, I'm just going to be drawing for like two months now or something. And it's like, that's, that's, you've committed to a structure that's going to push you through. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, you know, especially if you're just in the first couple of weeks, save, save oh, yeah. your drawings, exactly like, save, save that, them. Yeah. And at the end of this course, draw, try to draw one of those early things again. Yeah. yeah. Right? Focus on see, progress, you know? not on current state. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah like at the end of that course, you're going to look at your work and, and you'll be like, I mean, if you're new to art and you take a course for a month, like, yeah, you're still going to be medium to bad at art, right? Because, like, oh, that's yeah. not enough time, you know? But if you compare what you did at the end of that to what you did at the beginning and focus on that, that's actually mm-hmm. the thing that matters anyway. And it's going to be an enormous leap because the, the difference between zero and some, right? Like when you're investing yes. effort it's into something is huge. Um, and, yeah, so for me, it's always the same. It's focus on on the change over time. Don't focus on actually the state. Um, yeah. And so I think the, the trick with that is basically to pick a, pick a moment in time and it could be, you know, the end of the, literally the end of the class, which why the class structures are great. I mean, there's also, while I did self-teach for a bit, I think between like essentially between Crashlands and 
Levelhead, where it really kicked off, was actually after I took one online art class for the same reason, which is like you're turning homework in, other people, someone else is talking about your work and critiquing it as if it is worth critique, which is, you know, that's the whole gift in and of itself. Having someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about look at a thing that is just terrible and be like, okay, okay, what if we just shore up this part of it? And you're like, oh, well, and like that, that person gives you words. Like they, yes. they give they give you ways to talk about and analyze things that yes. you normally wouldn't have. And like I think that's that's one of the the biggest gifts you can get from taking taking a class is at the, at the beginning you may draw something and be like, wow, this sucks, right? But then how do how you, does it suck? Do you know yeah, how sucks? how in what ways does it suck? And then if you wanted to learn more about how to suck less at those things, how would you look that information up? Yes. Well, you don't have any of the words, right? You don't know how to stop sucking because you can't, you can't describe just, it, you know? At this point, you know, give it a few months, but at this point, you can't just paste your image into Google and be like, tell me how to not suck at the things mm-hmm. that I suck at, right? Uh, that's you know, this is, this is where classes come in, get the mm-hmm. vocabulary, get the jargon, you know, um, and yeah. then you can start to self-teach. Yeah. But definitely, definitely take a moment once the class concludes or even like I say at the halfway point, because the, the thing that's addictive about this, once you actually manage to survive the time scale around this is seeing the before and after and being like, Oh, this means, yeah. That in the next six weeks, if I keep on trucking like this, who knows? Like, I, that means this is going to be that much better again, you know? Um, and of course you hit plateaus and all that stuff, but, but especially in the early days that the early progress tends to come pretty quick, even though yeah, it early learning is actually, actually terrible. Yeah. It's like the most stressful, but also the most fun because yes. the change is so fast, but you're also so bad at it. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think another, like one, something that I've tried and I think successfully managed to do over the years is to also reframe what it means to look at, to compare your output to somebody else's output, right? Yes. Uh, where there's there's a kind of freedom that I actually like kind of revel in with the knowledge that there will always be people out there who are way better than me at anything that I do, right? But the thing that I focus on is, you know, programming, right? Um, and like every once in a while I'll see somebody's like code and some open source repo somewhere. And just be like, how did they, like, how did their brain allow this to come into existence? You know, right? And because it's just like, there's something about it that's like so clever or so clean or so yeah. whatever, right? That I'm like, I can't imagine myself. In the same way, like, I'll read oh, yeah. a novel and be like, like, I'm a decent writer, but when I read like a really good. Oh, know, yeah. The words just feel, you're like, how? It's just not the same, you know, right? Just and like, like and I know, yeah. And I know that like I'm nowhere close to that. But for me, what I, what I, I take those first as like as just the thing to celebrate the fact that like oh there that's fucking awesome but there are people who can like who can make me look puny you know because that means that there's <laughs> so much cool shit that people can do which is really cool right but it also gives me a, a selection of things to choose from for what I also want to be able to do eventually mm-hmm. right so that it's not about comparing myself to them in any kind of uh, uh, judge judgmental way about myself right. It's more of like, oh, cool. Like, this is a kind of thing that's possible, right? This is the kind of thing that people can do. Yeah, I'm on that road. Yeah, you know? and and also you get to choose, right? Because the fact is you can't be, like, really good at just all of the things you want to be yeah. good at, right? And, like, when you're looking at, the, you know, and, like, and it's easy to kind of, like, lump, say, like, programming together or art together into, like, one thing, mm-hmm. right? But that's also not true, right? So, like, if you're an artist... Are you doing pottery, right? Are you doing, yeah. are you doing digital media? Are you doing physical media of all the various flavors that that has, mm-hmm. right? 
like you're not doing all of it. Um, and it's it, it like just from a reasoning standpoint, it doesn't make any sense to as a person be like, here's where I'm at. And then go look at like the best potter in the world. And you're over here doing digital art and then be bummed that you're not as good at like pottery as that potter is. Right. Like yeah, it doesn't. I think it's, it's practicing skills. Weird enough, I think requires also practicing. It's basically you could do it with a sense of self-hatred, certainly. But it yeah. doesn't work out. It doesn't last very long. I think it actually pairing it with this with a self it is to me a self loving exercise. Weirdly enough, is mm-hmm. kind of required for it to be a thing that you can do for a long period of time. Which is to say, yeah, that you don't. It's not an act of beating yourself up in order to accomplish. I've, that's what I did for just spoiler alert. That's what I mean. That's what everybody many does. Years. <laughs> yeah, didn't work very well, uh, and was terrible. I used to describe drawing as dragging a dragging a chisel across stone when I was working on everything in Inkscape, you know? Yeah. And it felt like that for seven or eight years until I, I don't even know, just kind of started enjoying the process. Like we talked about last week a little more, this stuff, right? Um, not being a dick to yourself about yeah. the fact that you suck at a thing that you literally have never done. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and just be proud that, that just by starting to work on improving it, that already puts you in like the top 5% yeah, of people that's true. in that domain, right? Like, yep. like, you know, almost nobody takes a drawing class. Most people do suck at drawing yes. tremendously. And when I say most, I mean like Basically almost everyone, everyone yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and so like just by spending a, a, a few weeks taking a drawing class and like actually giving a shit about trying to become better at drawing, you're already f- so far on, on the path, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. you just got to just keep going. Yeah. Right? When you're comparing yourself to others, think about it in terms of, oh, that's, that's cool that if I chose to go in that direction, I could eventually also do that, right? Yeah. But do not compare yourself to a person over time, right? Because like if – if you started 10 years after somebody, or if you didn't, because people do stuff at different rates, right? But if someone's like, let's just say years for convenience, if someone's 10 years ahead of you down some path, programming, art, whatever, right? Uh, and you're now kind of chasing them, right? You're like looking at what they can do and you're like trying to meet them, right? You can't. You can't until they die the time. or stop, right? <laughs> yep. Because they're also getting better as they go. And so if you look at that only, if you look at it as a source of like excitement and of like, information about the increasingly cool, like new things you'll eventually be able to do and want to do. Right. Then that's a really good way to look at it because it's now that now other people doing cool things is a source of excitement, not a source of like, Oh, I'm so bad at stuff. Right. Um, yeah. But I think you also find the pieces of it that you actually enjoy. Cause I think that's yeah. something that I didn't, there was a, there's a GDC talk that I watched, um, by this, I think it's a pixel art animator who, I can't remember the name of the talk, but it's, he basically, he does, he made these uh, sample pixel art animations of Overwatch characters doing their moves. And these are like the most beautiful, fluid fucking things I've ever seen ever, right? And during the talk, he said something which confused the shit out of me at the time because he basically said, yeah, I, you know, I really don't like designing the characters. I just like making a move. So that's all I do. This dude does not, and he basically hates making a new character and like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> conceptually designing the entity that's going to move. He's like, no, 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 no. Give me something that exists and I'm going to make that thing, you know, sort of fine, yeah. do whatever. But I, that's the deep expertise, right? It's like, just yeah, that. but he's like, I don't, I don't like that part. So I don't, I don't do that. And I'm like, it didn't occur to me that you could just sort of be like, I don't give a fuck about that. And I'm still hugely <laughs> valuable. You know what I mean? It like, is good to recognize the things that you just don't care about. I, I saw this hilarious post on the uh, mid journey 
Minecraft subreddit, mm. which which I follow, and I get to see all of the fake images of people getting arrested and stuff long before they, <laughs> they get they get spread as misinformation on Twitter because that's good. People post them there first, but in the uh, in the Mid Journey subreddit, there was a thread where the person said, "Who here has has canceled their Mid Journey subscription?" Okay, uh, oh, fascinating. Okay, and so. So then the thread opened up and, you know, almost nobody was like, what are you talking about? Like, why would you cancel your mid-journey subscription? And then the the original poster then kind of like clarified and they said, well, the thing is like I, I subscribed to mid-journey and then as I was using it, I realized I don't have good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you know, I just, I can't think of anything cool to make and everybody else is making really cool stuff and that's great, but... I, every time I sit down, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it now. And I sit down and I just don't care. Like, I just can't, like, my brain does not get excited about coming up with yeah, images. And uh, and I I just canceled it. But yeah. I still I still subscribe to the subreddit and I still, like, I like to see yeah, all the stuff everybody's yeah. making. Yep. But, like, I just don't, it's just okay. not, I'm not into it, it turns out. Yep. And I was like, nice. And I've, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I've had that happen, too, with a lot of disciplines, right? Like, oh, tons, yeah. Like, I still would like to be good at just like sketching because that's a, it's actually just a useful skill to that's have, right? Useful skill. Yeah. But also every time I've like sat down to work on it, I, I also don't care though, right? As in like I don't have any like personal interest because like to me it's like, oh, it would be useful, but not I'm interested in it, right? Mm -hmm. Which are very different things. And because I'm not actually interested, when I sit down to do it, I'm just like, I don't care though, you know? And yeah. so everything becomes insurmountably yeah. difficult. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, like, well, it's okay. It's okay just to not care about it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Find yeah. the thing you do care about. But there's also there's aspects of I think a lot of expertise building that come down to figuring out how to care. We're That's true. About a thing, right? So if you say like, oh yeah, I, you know, I want to get into sketching, but I can't care about it. Um, it's also the case that there's there's aspects like for me, the book that helped a lot for my drawing was actually a book on gesture drawing for animation by Walt Stanchfield, which is like a PDF that someone randomly sent me online. It's a, it's By a, who? Walt Stanchfield. He's a he was an animator at Disney, all that stuff. He's mainly, but he basically turned into like a little. Sounds like somebody teacher. who has a monocle. Yeah, he's so. his, <laughs> his vibe is just excellent. His vibe is excellent. But up until then, all of the the courses I'd taken, because again, it was it was of keen interest for me to get better at drawing. You know, as yeah, the art you were like, person. all right, I've made a game of the year as the sole artist. I should probably figure out how to do this. Time to take some drawing <laughs> class. Yeah. <laughs> But up until then, I hadn't, I just started casting a very wide net because I had that, that question, that problem, which was like, I don't, I sit down to try to practice this and it just, I just don't connect with it. I just, I don't care, you know? Um, and it wasn't until I got that framing out of that book for like how to think about what you're doing that became much more, everything became much more interesting to me. So I think it's also, you know, it's like school, you, you, the teacher you have for math class, if you have like a really great one who's inspiring, it makes people to go further into mathematics versus, you know, f further away from it. And so I think it's, it's also you know, crucial to recognize that if there is a skill that you want to get, then sometimes it's, uh, it is just a matter of starting and stopping, but underneath a couple of different kinds of approaches to it, not just the same yeah. one repeatedly. That was a mistake I was making. At the well, time. yeah. And remembering that, that so much of what it seems like the thing is about hinges on, as Sam is saying, like the experience that the teacher provides you or yes. the teaching resources. Right. And I think similarly for, for me, when I finally got into programming, which was also a self-teaching approach, the thing that allowed me to do it, cause like 
learning about programming for the sake of learning about programming, at least for me, it was just not interesting, right? Because yep. it's like, oh, it's the worst. It's like, oh, cool, you can write functions, I guess, right? Um, we, I mean, who cares? Uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go back into our rant about how people use foo and bar oh, yes. in their but fucking those, programming books. But I just have to say that I hate it. <laughs> but I mean, it's relevant. To, to, it's actually relevant to this topic, right? Yes. Because, because things that are taught in that way also imply to you like, oh, this is the way this thing is actually, right? Like this feels is like programming, programming is, yeah. is like foo and bar and these really like high level abstract concepts, right? When actually, no, the reality of like doing it day to day is is quite different. Um, but also it can be different than that too, right? Because like it's a thing, it's a creative endeavor that you can have fun with. Um, and the way that I finally actually like found something that made it worth learning because it was interesting wasn't picking up a book about programming and video games because mm-hmm. now I'm just making something fun, right? And the output is like fun and interesting. But so many of the books are like, hey, here's like an introduction to programming through like doing business analysis, right? And it's like, if you don't care about business analysis, you can't <laughs> possibly care about yes. the whole fucking stack, right? And even today when I'm doing my my moment-to-moment programming, um, I still do stuff in a way that makes it interesting and fun for me. Not the stuff that's like the most practical or the most efficient or the most time efficient or whatever. It's the thing that keeps me engaged because otherwise eventually I won't do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this actually reminds me of something that I was talking about with the, uh, so I I give a a talk to the uh, human restoration project about taking, you know, game design principles and uh, bringing them into education or into, into like basically, basically looking at how we teach in schools, uh, but from the lens of game design. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was kind of forced to think through as, as we did this was the, the problem of, uh, in, of information or like of priming people to be receptive to information. So like back in school, your teacher would start telling you stuff and your immediate reaction would always be like, okay, but like, what, when am I going to need what this? Am, what so, am I ever going to use yep. this for? Right. That's, that's the, the, the comment that's like the stereotypical, like a teenager mm-hmm. rolling their eyes at a Pythagorean theorem of being like, what, what am I ever going to use this for? Right. It's like if, and, and, but that doesn't stop as a teenager, right? Like anytime you see some new information, you're if it's not, if you haven't already been primed to have an interest in that or like to know why you would need it, right? Then it just kind of like bounces off the, mm-hmm. off the dome, right? And so that's where, like Adam was saying, you know, if you just, if you just pick up a, a book about C++ and it's, yeah. it's casting that programming language in the context of a bunch of stuff that you don't care about, or it's not even really casting it in any kind of practical terms. It's just like, here's how you program in C++. Here's what a variable is, you know? Yeah. Then like, it's 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 really no different than when you boot up a mobile game and then they they basically Hit trap you, you in 15 minutes of tutorials before you can actually do anything at all. Yeah, you know? so you it's don't like, even know why you're doing. Yeah, yeah, they just they just keep like pointing you at different buttons to click and you're just like, oh my God, like skip, skip, just like get me out of here, right? Mm-hmm. Because you you don't have any problems that you understand right now how to articulate. And so whatever they're telling you is just nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so a big part of, I think – getting like pushing through those, those early stages is trying to find like the early stages of learning stuff is trying to find ways to frame it in, into uh, something that is inherently interesting or valuable. 
to you, right? Uh, all right. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps that up. Uh, so thank you very much for the question. Uh, and good luck on your, on your yeah. drawing journey. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a big one. Uh, so that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.